Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. Today, for your listening pleasure, we have an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on February 11th of 2018 under the headline, Tillamook Gorillas Were Ready for Japanese Invasion. Here we go. Early 1942 was a really nerve-wracking time to be an Oregonian, especially if you lived on the coast. The United States had just gone to war against a country that was already famous for being able to deliver large amounts of force anywhere within 600 miles of its aircraft carriers. No other country in the world at that time was better at surprise attacks. And no other country in the world could bring those attacks to bear farther away from its home shores. So although Japan itself was thousands of miles away on the other side of the Pacific, there was a real sense in coastal Oregon and Washington that the Pacific might as well be a very large river for all the protection it would afford if the Japanese decided to invade. Oregon and Washington were, in a very real sense, on the front lines. So there were plenty of heartburn pills sold in Oregon drugstores when, a few months into the war, the Oregon National Guard got called up to go and fight in Europe, leaving the state wide open and defenseless. In Tillamook, a man named Stuart P. Arnold had an idea for a way to do something about that. Arnold was a First World War veteran, and he had lost his sight in combat. But he seems to have lost none of his fighting spirit. He arranged an organizational meeting of something called the Guerrilla Rifle Club at the Pleasant Valley Grange on May 5, 1942, and a total of 69 men signed up. The plan was for this loose association of local men packing their own hunting rifles to be ready on a moment's notice to resist a Japanese invasion. Their organization was paramilitary, with officers elected by the membership militia-style and a military chain of command. At the organizational meeting, Arnold was elected commanding officer with the rank of colonel, and the membership elected a captain, Art Sperber, and a first and second lieutenant, Earl Clarine and Ralph Blum, respectively, as well. But they were definitely not an army unit. These were civilian volunteers with no uniforms, sponsored by no government. If captured by an invading force, they would be treated as fifth columnists, not entitled to the protections of the Geneva Convention. Well, that was fine. The men understood that. They also understood that if the Japanese actually invaded Oregon, not having the protections of the Geneva Convention would be the least of their worries. Within a month, the Tillamook County Guerrilla Rifle Club had swelled to more than 1,000 members and attracted national attention. Quote, There are snuff-dipping Mackinac men from the forests, ruddy, overalled farmers of sturdy Swiss stock, pale businessmen from the little towns, wrote a Time magazine reporter in the March 30th issue. They had no uniforms, did no drilling, furnished their own guns and ammunition for target practice, but they were dead shots and they were ready to shoot. Quote, I think a lot of guys in the guerrillas were guys who couldn't get into the military or were disabled for one reason or another. Garibaldi historian Jack Graves told the Tillamook Headlight Herald's reporter in 2010, 
and older guys, including ones who had already served their time in the military. There were some younger lads as well, 16-year-old boys too young for army service, but as good with a 30-30 as any 25-year-old Marine. Quote, If the Japs try to land on the bays or inlets, Neetarts, Tillamook, or lesser coves, they will find guerrillas on cliffs, sand pits, and in the bogs, using their own ammunition and rifles, Colonel Arnold told the Headlight Herald reporter. Our motto is keep your guns cleaned and oiled and your powder dry. It was more than just that, though. Quote, My dad, Roy Graves, told me they mined all the bridges that connected Tillamook to the Willamette Valley, historian Graves told the Headlight Herald reporter. There were teams of two or three men assigned to each bridge. Especially after the Time magazine article came out, the idea of forming guerrilla militia companies spread wildly across the state. A similar group sprang up almost immediately in Lincoln County. A group calling itself the Bushwhackers had already formed in southeast Portland three months before, and another guerrilla club now formed in Independence. And across the state, as April dawned, the guerrilla militia movement started taking Oregon by storm. Meanwhile, the Oregon State Guard was growing nearly as quickly. Formed in 1940 as a military force answering directly to the governor, the State Guard was the logical organization to take on what the guerrillas were doing. The State Guard got scant support from Washington, D.C. until word got about about the guerrilla companies. At that point, army leaders started pondering worst-case scenarios involving random gangs of poorly trained armed men running around the countryside looking for Japanese soldiers to kill. It wasn't hard to imagine ways this could turn out very badly and the Army had no way of knowing what kind of training these guerrillas were getting. Soon the pressure was on Governor Charles Sprague to rein them in, and Washington was suddenly in a far more generous mood as regards rifles and ammunition and training supplies for the State Guard. Sprague, who had been supportive of the guerrillas at first, now started encouraging them to join forces with the State Guard. Quote, One thing made clear in this war is the value of guerrilla fighting, and our local fighters familiar with the terrain can be of great value in repelling the enemy, he wrote in a press release on March 17th. They should be enrolled in a military body, however, otherwise they would not be entitled to the rights of prisoners of war if captured, but would be subjected to immediate execution. They should also be regularized for training and for proper coordination with the regular troops. In May, the federal government, dissatisfied with the pace of absorption, actually ordered all the guerrilla clubs to disband or be absorbed into the state guard. Most of them, by this time, had done so. But Arnold's Raiders, as they were called, the biggest of the groups, still held on to its independence. An awkward showdown was avoided by the expedient of redesignating the Tillamook County Guerrilla Rifle Club as a non-military organization, and it continued as an independent club. Ironically, it was the following month that the Japanese came as close as they ever would to actually invading the mainland U.S. when submarine I-25 hove to off the mouth of the Columbia and shelled Battery Russell. That, of course, was a county away from the Tillamook guerrillas' home base, but it's a safe bet that some of Arnold's raiders were on their way northward, rifles locked and loaded the minute they got the word, just in case. Key sources in this story included works by the Tillamook Headlight Herald, the Oregon State Archives, and Doug Kent Crispin and Andy Lindbergh via the Kick-Ass Oregon History Podcast, to which you should consider subscribing if you don't already. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. 
Check out our hub page at offbeatoregon.com to explore all the other things we do or to find full citations and visuals that go with today's show. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details of that, see offbeatoregon.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Offbeat Oregon History episodes are uploaded every weekday morning at around 6 a.m., so it'll be a couple of days before you get your next fix. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day and the subsequent weekend with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.